Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. We are going to study some sources from Devarim, from Deuteronomy, even though we're currently exploring during the uh, partial cycle, we're in Bamibar and Bahalotaka, as we said earlier. We're not uh, we're not sticking with the exact parsha for our parsha because Deuteronomy means what? What's Deuteronomy translate as? Devarim. Devarim into Hebrew and then into English. Deuter. Anonymy means a second telling. Oh, it's actually, oh, a, a, oh, sound, oh, a repeat. A second yeah. So, but we we kind of know that. Right? We know that we know a couple of things. First of all, internal to the Jewish canon, we have a history of the finding of a book of the Torah, uh, and it's very likely that that Torah itself that is being referred to is Deuteronomy itself which is a retelling. That's a little bit of critical text theory. Um, and that retelling sometimes makes very interesting references back to Parsha stuff that we've been studying here in Bamidbar. So I want us to look at something from the Parsha and then look at the relationship of that piece from where it's located in Bamibar, in, in the fourth book of the Torah, and see what relationship it seems each of the rabbinic masters who had something to say about a line in a later book that's referring to that thing way back in the previous book uh, later. So it's, we're gonna try to create that bridge across the two books. So what we're going to look at briefly in the Chumash, in the Tanakh, is from the 11th chapter of Numbers of Bamidbar. It's on page 827, if you're looking in eight time. And it's the second Vayahi in a row. The first Vayahi in, uh, in this little chunk of the Ha'alotika, remembering that the chapter numberings are Christian editions later, or perhaps telling you for the first time, for some of you that is a Deuteronomy. <laughs> Appreciate the giggles, okay. Uh, here in on page 826, if you glance backwards, the first Vayahi is Ha'aron, Right? As I reference, this is the piece where we get the liturgy that each time the traveling sacraments were lifted up, Moshe would announce, Kuma Adonai like, rise up God and scatter your enemies, and, uh, and, and may your haters get out from before your face. Uh, more or less. That, that's the more literal translation. Okay? And then we get to the second Vaiki. The people took to complaining bitterly before the Lord. Now you know that we're talking about Jews, okay? The Lord heard and was incensed. And so what did God do? God sent a fire. So a fire of the Lord broke out against them, ravishing the, uh, ravaging the outskirts of the camp. The people cried out to Moses, 
Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. That place was named Tad Eirah because a fire of the Lord had broken out against them. It's a play on words in the Hebrew. The riffraff in their midst felt a gluttonous craving. And then the Israelites wept and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers. Why are they so excited about cucumbers? I know there's also a guess for all these things are guesses in translation because we're establishing what these vegetables are based on in a lot of times hapax legomena, right? Like the first and only mention of those things in an ancient text. And so Probably cucumbers, sure. Um, we miss the meat, we miss the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Yeah. Now our gullets are shrunken, they're shriveled. There is nothing at all, nothing but this mana to look to. And then the narrative voice of the text comes in. I, I really like this because it's kind of plain. It's telling us what happened with Moses and God. Then it gives us a quote from the people, and then the narrative voice of the text says, the Haman, by the way, not, not Haman, boo, but like the Haman and the mana, okay, and the mana, he's Ragadu. By the way, says the text, the mana was like coriander seed, right? And its color was like this this like very special uh, um, spiced color, the people would go about and gather it, grind it between millstones or pound it in a mortar, boil it in a pot and make it into the cakes. It tasted like rich cream. When the dew fell on the camp at night, the mana would fall upon it. Okay, so the people complained, God got mad, sent a fire. Moshe was like, whoa, 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 hold back. <laughs> the fire stops, and then the people go immediately back to complaining. I miss the meat, I miss the cucumbers, I miss the onions, I miss the garlic. And then, by the way, we hear that the mana that's falling should be very satisfying, right? It should be pretty good. Okay, so this is the, the account in our Parsha of the experience of mana, and also kind of the social interaction of the people of Moshe, of God, when it comes to the mana itself. Now, in Devarim, when we're recounting this idea, we get to talking about Jews complaining about their heat, which <laughs> resonates deeply with me. So I kind of went deep into this parsha. And one of the things that gets explored across all of the different sources in text, and I turn to the source sheet in just a moment, is this idea that there must be an explanation for the idea that the clothes that the Israelites wore didn't wear out and their feet didn't swell up. And we're going to hear that it wasn't just their feet that didn't swell up, but something else seemed to be protected on their feet. And I want you to have in the back of your mind that we have a tension at play here, which is you've got the people's account, which is 
Oh, Yulanu, like this is terrible. We remember what life was like under the Egyptian rule. And you have the narrative voice of the text, which says what? This is pretty good. It's pretty good. Fran says it's pretty good. Like it's actually it's pretty great, you know. But then again, God, God's probably the narrative. But right, the narrator, whoever they are, is putting in the voice of God, who sees it as pretty good, or a, fa- a big fan of God, right? So you've got God saying this, or we're a very big fan of God. Okay, so we're going to play with this tension of the idea of somebody who is voicing God as the gift of um, maintaining clothing and also footwear or feet versus the complaining Jews. So we're going to look at Devarim for a second. And just because of the setup in the room and COVID and all the things, I'm going to read some of the texts, but I'll invite input as we go back and forth. So, Sim latcha lo balita me'alecha. Your simla, which is like your vestment, we're going to get to that in a second, did not wear out from upon you. Viraglecha, which is, uh, we're going to read as feet, okay? Because what's foot in, in modern Hebrew? Regel. okay? But also we have kaf regel, which, which could be more specific, because what could regel also be? A leg. A leg. What, what could it also be? A, a chag, right? A regel is also, yeah, regalim. We have also the, the uh, because it's a, because it's a pilgrimage, regel has all these different meanings. From the context, we know that it means probably feet, but I want to be clear here that it's important to understand the vocabulary context. And there's also something else that I want you to understand, okay? It's really critical, historically, to get this. When this verse says, sim la your your sim la didn't, didn't uh, wear out, what one has to understand is that most people in the ancient world contemporary to the original times of the Torah, and going forward for many centuries, so I'm not an expert on this area of history, so I can't tell you exactly when this shifted, in the Near Eastern traditions, people had one garment. They owned a singular garment. That garment, the easiest way to make a garment, by the way, is to take one long sheet, right? one singular picture of very I'm actually going to do this. That's why I brought this up here again. I'll do it in front of the camera so you can see it too. Right? So you wind up with one long sheet. And then when you fold it in half, you wind up with a place to put a hole in the middle top, which becomes the place for your head. And then you can sew up the sides. And by the way, how many corners does that garment have? Four. There you go. Okay, so this is the origin of, and you should place the fringes on the four corners of the garment, but also you've got to understand people have one garment. So the miracle of people having this garment that, wait, before I say it, someone else explain it in your words. What What is the miracle here that their garments didn't wear out? But what are the different ways that could take shape. Why is it miraculous that their garment didn't wear out? There were shopping malls in the desert. They couldn't have gotten other clothes. Right. They couldn't have gotten other clothes, possibly. We're going to see an argument against that. 
which is interesting. But like, yes, you probably, they, like, where are they getting other clothing? One thing. Good. What else? Also, people grow. Is there the children's clothing? Thank you. Absolutely. Tom says children grow, hopefully, right? Children grow. So how how is it possible that the garment that fits literally my kids outgrew the clothing I bought them two weeks ago, okay? They're like almost four and almost seven, and they're wow. like going through sizes week by week. So how are these garments not wearing out from upon them in this regard. So those are the miracles, we're naming the miracles. Now, we're gonna take a look at Sitei Chachamim, at this Midrashic commentary that pulls together a Rashi and also a Re'en. So, you might ask, they say, that's my favorite, and you might, like, you might inquire about this. It says in Parshat Kitavo, that is neither our parsha of the week, nor is it here where, where we're looking in um, in Devarim. Uh, rather, it's somewhere else. There's another quote that says, "Benaalecha." Also, your your sandalware, your footwear, also didn't shred away from your foot. Okay, so very similar to the whole, your feet didn't wear out. Also, your footwear apparently didn't wear out, which implies that they wore shoes. Okay, so the first comment is, what's the question? What's the first comment or question here? That the, why are they bringing up that another place that says they wore shoes? What's bugging them? What's bugging this comment here? There's not a parallel that it's uh, clothes and feet instead of clothes and shoes. There you go. So it's it's not parallel, first of all. It, here we have clothes, that your clothes didn't wear out and your, and your feet, and in the other place you have clothes and sandals, and also, if it says that your feet didn't wear out, it seems to imply that perhaps they were barefoot, right? as many people were in Near Eastern and still are in societies that haven't come to adopt footwear fully uh, or have the means to, to provide footwear as people's feet grow and have those resources. So what was it? Which was it? Were they barefoot or were they not barefoot? Are both things true? Is one of the things true? Which source is true? The answer is that verse there refers to the Jews who left Egypt who had shoes. Okay, I like this answer because it's like some people have shoes, some people don't have shoes. Those shoes didn't shred. So Rakshi's explanation here refers to the Jews who were born in the wilderness who did not have shoes. What does that mean? There wasn't a mall. There wasn't a mall, says Fran. That is correct. Neither did they have one of those nifty Amazon boxes where you could like order and then like go pick up even if you don't have an address, right? The, the issue here, <laughs> the issue here is that they couldn't have picked up something along the way. And if you're born into the generation of the desert, it's very interesting. I spent a lot of time thinking about the generation that was born into the desert, but never about the practicalities of that. Right, like where are they getting baby blankets and, and the material for that and sandals and clothing? Herb has a they took the gold and the silver from the Egyptians. You'd think they'd pick up a couple wardrobe items too while they were at it. Herb, Baruch Shekivan, that Herb is thinking, as we're going to see in another commentary, didn't they take a haul from Egypt? Some of them, okay, so we're, we're going to get there. Maybe they had that, but in this commentary. They said, listen, the, the simplest explanation, right? Simplest explanation is there were people who had 
Either there are people who had shoes and people who didn't, or we're talking about the people who left Egypt had footwear, and then the generation born into the wilderness, they don't have footwear with them, right? Because they are born into the wilderness, there's no mall says right. Okay. So uh and then we're gonna go just a little bit further. So we get this other explanation from the M. This usually happens to only those who walk barefoot, meaning the explanation in the verse above is your regel didn't vatseka. I'm going to leave that without going deeply into the translation because we're going to see a cool source in a moment. But what they're saying is, in our verse here in Devarim, it's talking about something that usually happens to people when they were barefoot. This isn't really a description of something that happens to people who are wearing footwear. People with footwear don't have the thing that the verse says people didn't get. It wouldn't be a problem for them. So shouldn't you ask, what's the significance of nor did your foot swell? We're going to stop at that question and we're going to go to the next commentary, which is Ramban, who is actually going to give us one of the Ibn Ezra commentaries that I bring to you in full on the next page. Okay, so we're going to go to Nachmanides, Ramban. Okay. And your Raymond, I love Raymond. I'm going to tell you why I love that weird translation. What he's getting at there is, it's like in Spanish saying like vestido, there's there's a general word for your your vestment your garment right it's you it, it's the one thing that you have and then you go and you wash and then you wear it again okay so that's what that raiment business is in english okay uh so this is what Nachmanides theorizes now we're going to get into not questioning instead we get to a little pseudo magical explanation here's what's really happening from god the clouds of glory, the Ananekavod, Hayu, what were they doing? They were brushing the garments and pressed them so that they looked like freshly ironed articles. It was like heavenly fabrics. That's not what he said. I'm just adding my own commentary. And so it was with their children. As they grew, their garments grew with them. Okay, so Tommy Raman says, that's the magic. It was constantly being like, fresh pressed, and also the garments were growing with them. So this is what Rashi's language is. He's, he says, I'm bringing this from Rashi, and also these are the words of the Agadah, meaning these are the words of the story-like explanations that get collected in the rabbinic works. But Ibn Ezra wrote, other scholars say, going to what Herb said, they just took a lot of garments out of Egypt, and it's possible that it was not in the nature of mana oh wait now he's going to go into magical thinking also it's possible that it was not in the nature of mana to produce perspiration they didn't sweat mana didn't make them sweat right you might miss meat my friends but you don't miss the meat sweats right and so you see saying the mana doesn't produce uh, sweat in them and therefore their garments lasted longer and so also he said, neither did your feet swell, meaning God gave them strength, or he led them, was, what was the word in, in Hebrew here? I'm going back and forth because I want to move quickly. I think about eight or something like that. He moved them really slowly. What does that mean? How does that help if God moved them slowly? Oh, so slow that... Their feet are going to be fine. Their feet are fine. They're not sweating. It's a leisurely walk all through the meat bar. 
I love that this is like the explanation for 40 years in the wilderness, right? Oh, it's gonna take us 40 years, so you shouldn't sweat, right? Your feet shouldn't hurt, right? I, I like this explanation so much because it's, it's this desire to marry all of the textual narrative together, right? And then Ramban says, but Ibn Ezra's wrong. His words aren't correct, okay? Because Moshe mentions this to them in order to say that upon observing the commandment of God, they're going to have mazon, and also they're going to have uh, this, this special garment, and they're going to renew their strength, even as they lived by the mana 40 years and they had garments. What is Ramban's problem? Why does he not like Ibn Ezra's explanation? Or rather, what does it seem? This is very Socratic of me because I do have an idea in mind, but I'm, I'm willing to accept other comments. Yeah, you have an idea? Um, the, the fact that they didn't, that their shoes and clothes didn't wear out is because it, they made a mitzvah. So that's the reward of the mitzvah. Exactly. It, it has nothing to do with the clouds or the moisture or whatever. It's just the reward of the mitzvah. Right. So Barrett says, look, what Ramban is saying here is that Ibn Ezra can't be correct that it was simply granted because the point was that their garments were not worn out and their feet didn't swell as a reward. There had to be a reward aspect to it from his perspective, not from any of these other perspectives. You can see there's a real disagreement in the sources here. Some of our sources over time say, no, 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 this is what happened in the desert, right? Magical Fabrizi and and this is and, and the garments that grew with the children. But for Nachmanides, part of his theological approach here is no, it it must come by means of reward. Turn page. Go to the second Ibn Ezra. Second Ibn Ezra is going to explain a little bit more about it. It's going to bring together a couple of the other commentaries. And then we're going to quickly go to Shnei Lukhara Bredemo and So Ibn Ezra says, I want to dig into this word from our, if you if you uh, flip back to the first page, Vatseka, right? So he's looking at that one particular word. And he says, what it means here is it's related to um, to baking, to the word batsik, which is dough, and they baked the dough, because this is the same word that's used way back in Shemot in Exodus, for the dough, and so he says it must be referring to, I mean, what, it's actually a fantastic uh, visual, right, like the baked dough, like doughy rising swollen feet, he says it's, it's, right. It is usual for the feet of a wayfarer who walks great distances to get doughy, right? To get swollen in that way. Mm -hmm. And he says, Ibn Ezra says, it's possible that God gave the Israelites strength or that he led them slowly. So this is the commentary that Ramban doesn't like so much. But what you see here is that Ibn Ezra says that if this word was used deliberately in the text, then maybe it's there to say it's not about reward and punishment, it's simply what was granted and it was the status quo for all Israelites who were wandering in the desert that they were granted this miracle. 
that the miracle of vomit wasn't just that it tasted like whatever they wanted it to taste like, but also that it wouldn't ruin their clothing, their clothing room with them, etc. Every commentator needs to understand this a little differently because the story of the mana defies logic. It defies logic. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that they possibly could have taken enough garments and shoes to provide for the thousands and thousands who were born in the wilderness and for the the uh, Arab rob that came with for the, the mixed multitude that comes with them. It doesn't make sense that magically wandering in the desert, one doesn't shred shoes after walking thousands of miles. So the Hasidic commentary in the form of the Shnei Lachotabri doesn't even try, it doesn't even try to see a miracle in the garments or a miracle in the shoes. It sees it as something completely different. They say that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually um, give you a rephrase rather than read word for word. That the idea here is that the garment that we're that's being referred to, that's not being worn out. Remember that the verse that we got was your garment, your vestment will not wear out from upon you. He says, you know what we know a garment to be? Our garment is our body. And what is it a garment for? It's a garment for our soul. So what was God saying in this verse? that your bodies won't give out on you and they'll house your souls. No, not souls of feet. That's kind of a funny play on words in English. They'll house your souls and they won't wear out from upon you, but rather they're going to last you in the desert, in the wilderness. And what I love about this explanation is that it simultaneously eschews all of the magical thinking used by everyone who's trying to explain logic in all other generations, and at the same time employs the idea that what the Torah is trying to tell us here is that people, like people themselves, were magically preserved. Doesn't matter if it was reward or it was not reward-based, but rather a verse is coming to tell us here in the desert, whatever is happening to you, you are going to be preserved as a person and your body will too. For our very last point, I'm going to go back to our Parsha, to Bamidbar, not on our sheets. This is why I then read back into Bamidbar the outrage of God at the Israelites' complaint. Because if you look back at the narrative, and you think about the idea that the Israelites are in a situation having, having been led out of bondage, they've been led out of slavery by God. Now they're in a wilderness and they're fully reliant upon miracles at the hands of a heavenly being in order to survive. And basically, if we're reading back into it, this idea from the Shnei Lufotabri that God is protecting these vessels and doing whatever God can because it's going to take a miracle for their feet to survive, for their bodies to survive, for them to have the nourishment they need, for them to have the garments they need for the generation that's born there. And what do they say? We miss our meat, we miss our cucumbers, we miss our onion, we miss our garlic. And I hear the Shnei Luchoda great speaking back to those Israelites in that generation and thinking about that 
psalm that we read, Psalm 95 at the beginning of Kabbalah Shabbat, Arba'im Shana Akut Bador, that wicked generation that wandered for 40 years in the desert. It was like, the problem was they couldn't see the miracle and the gratitude that, that ought to have been there for, for simply having survived. Where I want to end is to say, what I appreciate about our text always is the preservation of even the, the stains and the ugly spots of who the Israelites were. Our text doesn't try to make our people out to be a non-complaining and perfect people. So we can see ourselves in the text, right? I mean, I joke about it as I go through here, but it's on purpose because we do complain when our feet swell and we do complain when food doesn't taste the way that we want it to taste. But what the commentaries are striving to do throughout history is to come back to us as we read this text through the generations and say to us, take a look at the issue though that's going on in the text. See the missed appreciation and the missed opportunities for appreciation. And then we can look back even all the way a whole book prior to Devarim. We're still in the Midbar, we're going to eventually get to Devarim, and we can see that there just wasn't appreciation for whatever miracle was taking place in the world. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.